Uh, I'm calling that Fernando Rodriguez de Falcón. Uh, Ferd, a lot of you. And since uh, the last song mentioned Phaedra's Gate, I think uh, it's probably fitting to do a abridged version of the much longer tale that was originally published on the Callan list days after the events. Back in AS 34, the Callan host journeyed to the burning sands of Aitenvelt for the 16th Estrella War. We knew there would be glories gained, but none of us could conceive of the great victory that waited us at Phaedra's Gate. The battle pit at the old Estrella War site contained a great castle with a mott and a bailey and multiple entrances that had to be defended. Each side defended the castle for one hour. The attackers had unlimited resurrections, while the defenders were allowed only 300. During the commander's meetings, we discussed these battles, and we quickly came to the obvious conclusion that the way for the attackers to win was not to try to break into the castle, but simply to kill the defenders in place, forcing them to use up their resurrections. The attackers' unlimited reses meant that sacrificing three or four attackers to one defender would easily pay off over time. On Friday, we attacked the castle. That battle's a tale for another day, but in short, both the Outlands and Kalantir focused on sending in small column charges, one after the other, each designed simply to kill one, two, or three enemy troops. We knew our dead would quickly res and return to our ranks, but the enemies would start to count against them. Despite our side being badly outnumbered, the tactics and the unlimited reses quickly paid off. And with perhaps 15 minutes left in the battle, the last Kaiden and Aitenvelt forces were slain. It was a great victory, but did not make things look good for us in the second battle. <laughs> the next day we fought over that same castle again. But this time we were the defenders. We had already proven that a much smaller force could easily take the castle, given unlimited resurrections, of course. And worse, we'd shown the foe exactly how to do it. Outnumbered three to two, with limited resurrections, we knew we had no real chance for victory. But we would take the field and deny the castle to the enemy for as long as a falcon tabard remained on the field. Kalantir was given the difficult task and the great honor of denying the entrance to the enemy, the largest gate, Man's Gate, named after the Aiton King when the castle was built. I promised the battle commander, Sir Sean, that we would hold it as long as we could. A delaying battle was really our only hope. We would try our best to keep the enemy out for the hour. Killing the enemy meant nothing to us, but every Kalantir loss would hurt us sore. As I spoke to the army before the battle, I told them of our task, and that it was a forlorn hope. When I told them it was our job, and by God we would do our damnedest, I saw men nod with grim smiles. When I suggested in her, that in Her Majesty's honor, we used Phaedra as our battle cry that day, men cheered, and Phaedra rang across the burning sands. And from that inspiration came the following battle. The falcon host was arrayed in a pocket behind the great gate. Eight feet inside the entrance, we built a short line of scutums. We anchored on the corner post of the gate two more scutums on each side, perpendicular to the gate. Between these sets of scutums and the main line, we left two five-foot gaps. But two feet, a few feet behind each of these gaps, another scutum and a few secondary waited to stop the charging foe right where our pole arms could crush them. With our artillery heavily weighted towards long poles and greatswords, we waited and Kalantir sang. <laughs> As the Leon came, we saw a large force of the enemy come towards us. We later learned it was the bulk of the Aitenvelt army. From the back of our lines, I could see the settling of shoulders and the setting of weapons as our forces waited for the Aiton army to reach us. Just outside the gate, they paused, and the weight of their numbers appeared nigh unstoppable. 
Several of our spearmen went out through the gaps in our line to poke at the enemy, stalling for time but keeping the main unit from attacking for as long as they could. For a few moments, it seemed to work. Then, with a terrible roar, the foe charged. In the lead was House Staghold and a unit of mercenary troops dressed in maroon and black, whose names I never learned, though we faced them so many times that day. Into our pocket they charged. The crash was terrible as they smashed into our scutums. It was deafening. From where I stood, it was a terrible sight. Every one of our scutums in the front line seemed to be buried beneath the charging foe. For a moment, I thought the battle was lost, even as it started. But our valiant shieldmen were not slain, only pushed over backwards, crushed into narrow wedges, protected by a scutum above and the earth below. After that first frightening moment, a storm of Rattan intensified, and greatswords and polearms began to rain death upon the hapless Aiton warriors. Pinned by scutums in front and friends pushing from behind, they could scarcely move, and they died like wheat before the scythe. Soon, every enemy within range of a polearm was dead, and our spears stepped up and began to grim their own grim harvest. I had rarely seen such a charge, and it was the only first of many that day. The foe fell like dominoes, Honestly, each lie in the same direction, facing down across the backs of the friends before them. Bodies were quickly piled four deep, and a hold was called to clear them out. And the way was once again clear for more of the foe to reach us. The line reset. A marshal watching from the side later told me that the first charge, the enemy lost approximately 40 men. Then perhaps 30 in the second charge moments later. While in between the two charges, Calentier lost maybe three. 23 and a third to one. Of that, such legends are made. But there were still 55 minutes to go in the battle, and we had scarcely begun. As the battle wore on, Calentier stood, but not alone. Friends from the Outlands, Sir Jack, Sir Rurik, Sir James, and more fought with us. Not as another army, but behind our own shields and in our ranks. His Majesty Finn of the Middle, Duke Cain of Meridies, Viscount Duffith of North Shield, they each served as Kalan warriors within our lines. If they were needed on a spear or pole, behind a scutum, or as a secondary in the front ranks, they were there. Our friends honored us greatly that day. Time after time, the men of the sun charged our lines. Thirty or forty charges. Each time they came, they were determined to break through us once and for all. Each charge, the one charge that would break into the castle. And each time, somehow, miraculously, Kalantir stood firm. And we killed and we killed. Like butchers in our bloody work, our weapons fell upon charge after charge. And each time hold was called to allow the hordes of Aitenveld dead to leave, we would hold, catch our breath, shrug our shoulders, and return to our grim duty once more. After the first half dozen charges, I gave perhaps the strangest order I've ever given in combat, and perhaps the strangest I will ever give. Don't kill them so quickly. Slow down the killing. For once we had a carpet of dead bodies before us, there was no reasonable way for the enemy to advance. This was about the best protection we could hope for our castle. But if we killed too many more, the marshal would call hold and clear the bodies, allowing yet another charge. We needed to kill the first wave as quickly as possible, then slow down to stave off the, the holds that would come for as long as possible. And for a while this worked to some extent, but the desperation of the enemy to take our gate would not be held back and they began to climb over the dead to reach us, forcing us back to the slaughter, and forcing even more dead to be cleared each time. As charge after charge was driven home, they did have one effect upon our lines. They slowly drove the falcon host backwards, just a few inches at a time. 
After 30 minutes, we had been slowly pushed back some six feet, leaving two 11-foot gaps. The enemy tried to push through those gaps, but somehow we managed to hold them a little bit each time. Finally, at a slight lull, we closed the one on the right, but purposely we left the gap to the left, and behind the wall where the enemy couldn't see, we moved several extra secondaries and a bunch of extra artillery to cover. Sure enough, as the dead was cleared the next time, the charge came in and turned to the left. They slammed into the gate and ran into the gap. In quotes there for you. Only to die horribly in our new secondary pocket, which we calmly closed after the next hold cleared the dead. By this time, we were exhausted. The scooters had been fighting hard, and most had been replaced by this time. It was crushing work being squished and crammed into the ground. No air and heat and the sun. The pole arms and spear had been swinging as often as men felling trees. Arms were sore and tired. Then we got the word that we had only used 60 of our 300 resurrections. My grin almost split my face as I heard this. And as I spread the news, I heard soldiers laugh. And they returned to their work with new determination. By God, we could hold this castle. At the resurrection point, the army commanders had given orders that only senior fighters were to be arrested. Only knights and other fighters with high-end awards were to be given a chance to come back into the field rather than waste them on what they deemed as less effective fighters. Of course, this instruction was totally waived for Kalantir. <laughs> a falcon tavern was all that was needed to clear the resurrection point and return to our lines. Such was the job we were asked to do, and such was the respect they gave us that day. As the battle wore on, the Aiton forces, though clearly tired, grew more and more determined. One charge, with perhaps 10 minutes left in the battle, had a unit literally try to jump over Scutums, or knocking them down, attempting to fight from atop of them. But this did the enemy little good. They just had farther to fall when they died. <laughs> though standing firm before each crushing charge was surely enough labor for any of us that day, there were countless examples of determination and bravery. Albrecht, who stayed behind a Scutum for the entire hour. Spearmen, who dropped their weapons to take up Scutums in desperation. Rorik with a secondary in the front rank, replacing a down Scutum and staying there with nothing but a small secondary under three or four charges. Hufta stopping a column charge cold by himself. Ariel and Cora behind Scutums on the left. Donegal stopping charges of the spears held sideways to the greatswords could remove the threat. And so many more. But despite those many great moments, one is worth mentioning in specific. Sir Rolf's stand. Fighting with a center grip Scutum, Rolf had been the plug behind one of the gaps. When in the midst of the charge, his shield was literally ripped from his grasp. A lesser man, perhaps a saner man, would have stepped back to return with another weapon or a shield. But instead, Rolf, armed only with his gladius, pushed forward. Prying open an enemy's shield, he quickly killed its owner, and stepping over him, he stepped, killed the man behind him. I almost lost sight of him for a moment, but I believe he killed one more before he calmly bent down to retrieve his shield and retake his place in the line. For this and his actions in the Duke's Gate the day before, he was awarded a sword of Calentir that day, truly fitting. Calentir has often said, no heroes here. But that day proved the lie to that phrase. There was not a man or a woman within that line who was less than a hero that day. And after one final charge, the end of the battle was sounded. Miraculously, astoundingly, Calentir still had that held that gate. They said we couldn't hold the castle. We said we couldn't hold the castle, but somehow we did. As Calentir has done at Man's Gate, the Outlands had done the same at the Duke's Gate in the breach of a wall, 
and the rest of our allies had held a sally port in the East Gate. Amazingly, we still had 20 resurrections left, where the day before we had killed over a thousand men, the entire force plus the 300 resurrections, our foes had killed less than 300. This battle is the stuff songs and legends are made of. In days of old at Penzig Pass, the shield wall had stood with charges like this. But never, never had the foe continued to throw charge after charge at us like this. Even the two chucks learned after a while. <laughs> so great was our defense that their majesties Aitenvelt and Duke Mann himself, for whom the gate was na named, agreed to allow us to rename the gate Phaedra's Gate in memory of our inspiration that day. And Phaedra's Gate joined the ranks of legend. To their majesties, Joangus and Phaedra, who granted me the honor of commanding their army, and to each man and woman who was part of that amazing day, I truly owe a debt I can never repay. Calentier, I salute you. <laughs>